Hello, and welcome to The Block Explorer. I'm Colin Brightfield. Hey folks, I'm Cash Upton. The Block Explorer is here to educate and inspire you about the world of crypto and NFTs. We'll do deep dives into critical concepts for understanding what's happening and discuss current events shaping the space. We're making this podcast for the curious, the free thinkers, and the change makers that propel us forward. As we embark on our adventures, remember that none of this is financial advice and crypto can be risky. In this episode, we give you an in-depth look at the modular aspects of the Ethereum blockchain, and then we explore how proof-of-stake, sharding, and roll-ups enabled a modular blockchain design versus monolithic blockchains, which try to do everything on the same space and the same blockchain. And this is going to help you understand kind of the long-term thesis that we have for uh, where the blockchain industry is going, where crypto is going, and the evolution of Ethereum in a really long-term view. I'm really excited for this episode today. Uh, we both actually been reading the book um, written by Camila Russo, The Infinite Machine, which goes over the history of Ethereum. And it's really cool to see the starting mission of Ethereum and how five years later, it's continuing to progress to get to the state that it was brain, brainchild in and when what it was thought up in. Yeah, it's amazing to see the progression and and Ethereum gets it done. Like the community builds and keeps growing and keeps evolving. Keep they keep continue to iterate on on this project of Ethereum, and it's just cool to see. Yeah, the the progression it's gone through, and also to to see you know how it's still you know being built. It's still not done, and it's it is, is amazing, really inspiring and, and um, intelligent people that are building this great network that we love called Ethereum, as well as all these other blockchains in the space. You uh, gave me a link today. We're just uh, listening to an auction by Sotheby's. And what was one of the forms of payment that you're able to use for Sotheby's auction? In Sotheby's on the official auctions, you can use ETH as a payment. They have it listed. So they have US dollars, they have euros, yen, yuan, et cetera. And then they also have ETH. And ETH has literally become cultural currency and Sotheby's is signifying that by accepting that for their auctions. So ETH is considered money by Sotheby's. Definitely considered cultural significant money too. I love it. And so um, what does this narrative look like then when we're talking about the different layers of Ethereum and the scalability of it um, leading to the, the soundness of that money principle? Yeah, well, it kind of comes back to this whole narrative that's popular in uh, crypto circles right now versus monolithic versus modular blockchain, right? And so that's kind of like the main uh, theme of this episode, and we'll be comparing these, these blockchain designs. And this is important because the way that you build your blockchain is also going to kind of determine the, the how the... the um, the token is perceived and used, and ultimately, um, does it ha- become have monetary premium? And what we'll see here is that you know the way that you design your blockchain is going to have significant impacts on the culture that can prosper or not prosper, depending on this blockchain design. And then that also comes down to as an investor, you know what where you want to put your money 
you know, you're going to want to pick the things that are going to ultimately win out. Right. And so you're going to, you want to understand this tech, not just from like a, you know, curious standpoint, which is fascinating, but it's also practical because it's okay. Like, well, if I want to approach a space and I do want to choose a proper investment, how are the, how do I compare and contrast how some of these things are built? Right. We hear a lot of this narrative right now of all these uh, layer one or ETH killers, like uh, Solana is talked about a lot or Polkadot, Cardano, people even talk about that one, um, Avalanche. So there's, there's, there's all these other blockchains that are layer ones that are coming out that people are saying, well, are they going to overtake Ethereum? And this episode is really just to explore, is that possible? How do they design their blockchains? How does Ethereum do it? And what's what do we see kind of coalescing and, and you know coming out the other end of the spectrum here? And I think it's important to remind our listeners that currently Ethereum is more of a monolithic blockchain that is moving towards the modular with the different layers. And we can uh, recommend our listeners listen to the last episode about the layers on the layers. Um, but really, it's it's ETH's transition moment to a more modular uh, blockchain. Yeah, and Ethereum that's ultra scalable leads to ultrasound money. And, you know, you have more users, you have more transactions, you have more rewards for blockchain miners or validators. And so it just makes this positive feedback loop of the network's security is increased, which attracts more users, which creates more transactions, which creates more rewards. And so the network has, it creates this flywheel that helps it scale. And also at the same time, if it's modular, you can keep it decentralized. So, uh, Let's talk about some of the, uh, the points that kind of set this argument, Cash. Right. So the whole blockchain trilemma um, that we referenced in our last episode, um, which is the scalability of the blockchain, the decentralization of the blockchain, and the security. Um, so the scalability is really directly related to how many uh, transactions per second and the throughput of the system, whereas decentralization takes it to how many actual validators, uh, people, nodes are running um, that network. Is it centralized into the hands of uh, one or 200 or is it spread across multiple thousands? Um, and then security is just, you know, how difficult is it to attack? Um, blockchains have been attacked in the past. Um, Ethereum uh, got attacked, uh, called the Shanghai attack was one of the biggest instances and it survived. It never fully shut down. It was still operating and it was able to do that um, because of a lot of the principles that we'll be talking about um, in this episode. That's great, Cash. Thank you for that. And yeah, so the blockchain trilemma kind of forms this triangle and it, it, it kind of demonstrates the trade-offs that you have to make from an engineering perspective when you design blockchains. And that if you want the if you want your your blockchain to be fast essentially and scale to get a lot of transactions through, like something like Solana, um, then you you're going to sacrifice on decentralization and security. If you want to prioritize decentralization and security, then you're you're gonna you're gonna sacrifice some scalability here. And that's kind of the choice that like Bitcoin and Ethereum have done is they've they've very much prioritize decentralization and security at the cost of scalability. You know, these are kind of like, um, if you look at blockchains and how they're designed, you know, they're kind of like um, really simple, you know, um, computers that, that run over a network. 
And when you design it, these, 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 these very kind of new kind of network computers, you have to choose how you're going to do it. And, you know, there's, there's a trade-off here that you have to make. And when they decide on that trade-off, it's either going to be usually two out of the three that they're picking, right? Yeah, it's it's like you can't have all three kind of thing. Where if you if you focus on 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 two, then you're probably leaving out the other one, and um, it's kind of like you can't have your cake and eat it too when it comes to this. And it, it, and some people, you know, say that you know maybe there's a there's a way to um, they wouldn't maybe agree, and they would say you know there's a way to kind of have your cake and eat it too when it comes to this. But there's a lot of really smart people working on this, and right now the the best solution solution is is uh, to have modular blockchains, and we're going to get more into exactly how that all plays out. Uh, but right now, you know what most blockchains do right now they're monolithic blockchains, and so that means they do the they do these aspects of a blockchain all out on a one layer, and the aspects of a blockchain are consensus, execution, and data availability. So cash, what what are what are those mean and how do those relate to the blockchain? What's consensus, what's execution and what's data availability? So consensus is providing security um, because it's looking at the actual um, truth that's stored on the blockchain and comparing um, all the other nodes. Hey, is this content of this block correct? And they all come to a consensus that it so is they're all the like correct. checking each other right essentially right. yeah exactly and and let's remind our listeners this is this is a proof of stake model right is that what we're talking about because proof of work is slightly different than this yeah but either way there's a consensus layer whether it's proof of work or proof of stake there's a there's a, a consensus mechanism and that's what makes it a blockchain right where there's there's a bunch of other computers a bunch of other nodes and network checking on other nodes and so it provides this agreement right okay i cash i sent you one eth and so there's a bunch of nodes that are going to check my wallet address and say oh like do you agree that colin had one eth in colin's wallet and then they're going to say okay and now we're going to all agree that now that one eth that was in colin's wallet that token is now sent to cash's wallet and they're all going to now look at your wallet and agree okay plus one eth to cash's wallet and so this this is this solves the double spend problem, right? Which is like the one of the major problems that you have with like when you create digital currencies that we couldn't all the other projects that kind of were started before, you know, they didn't have they didn't have a way to create digital scarcity, right? You can just because in the age of the internet prior to crypto, you could just copy pasta everything, right? Copy paste this, right click save this. Like we had Napster, we had torrents, like we all lived through that kind of stuff. Right. So what what consensus does is it creates actual digital scarcity through this this mechanism where you're you're checking on each other. So you can't just copy paste another ETH. Right. This whole crypto thing wouldn't work if I could just control. Right. <laughs> you know, control, <laughs> click, paste, like just more ETH in my wallet. Right. <laughs> right. Which and is so kind of when you when you think about it, though. Um, it's kind of what the central bank does when they make more money. They're just kind of copy pasting dollars. <laughs> so actually, like, <laughs> it's like really twisted that we're like, we're the ones who are actually making digital scarcity and actual, what I would say is, is harder money, right? When you go back to Gershom's law, that uh, hard money, you know, 
easy, you know, hard money will drive all the, will get removed from this system because everyone want to hold on to that and they'll just spend the, 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 the soft money, right. Which is dollars, right. Yeah. Everyone holds on to their ETH. Everyone's holding on to the, hodling their Bitcoin, their crypto. And then we get, you know, if you go out to dinner, you're not spending your ETH, you're, you're spending your, your dollars, your, your, cause it's going to lose value. Right. You know, 6.1% in uh, CPI last month. Yeah, so, no, I, I mostly pay in dollars. I, I've paid for a few things in ETH, like our uh, wonderful uh, music production for the blockchain, um, the Block Explorer done by Mr. Matt Donner. I paid him in ETH, but not much else. But that I, was for I, a crypto project, right? Exactly, so, exactly. I had to pay him in crypto. It, it was like the- For crypto know, the, native things, it's 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 cool. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, but we I know we both like to, we don't like to part with our ETH, but, you know, you got to pay gas fees. You got to pay for- And so if NFT. I- if I was sending you an ETH, it is um, the nodes um, have a consensus mechanism. They agree. And then the second aspect of a blockchain is the execution. So it's the actual computational power required to update the blockchain from that block to the next block. Um, and the number of nodes on the system is what makes that, you know, how, how much computing power that takes. And, and how much you know cons, um, power is needed, right, to kind of can can do the execution? Yeah. So the execution is literally the 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 processing of the blockchain of saying like I gave you one ETH. Like there's the there's, there's that has to happen. Actually, there's a computation done by the blockchain to make that happen. And then the last layer is data availability, right? And that's the that's the storage layer. That's because a blockchain needs to keep a ledger, right? It's keeping a, it's keeping track of everything that's happened on the blockchain. That's the whole point of it. So there's a storage of all the data that's been created before on chain. And this is important, right? Because this is the whole thing of a blockchain needs to be able to reference itself to check like, oh, Colin gave cash one ETH already. So then if I, I try to send you another ETH, right, then it's like, oh, you don't have that ETH because we just checked and you already sent it. So it's that's, you know, that's like a really basic idea of it. So when you combine all three of these, you have a, a blockchain. We have consensus, execution, data availability. So we have this, the, the consensus is like the security mechanism, right? We all agree on something. And then the execution kind of um, maps to the scalability, right? Like how many transactions can you actually process per second? And then the da data availability um, is, is, comes into, you know, the scalability and the security and decentralization, all three kind of hit, hit it kind of hits all three of those. But when you look at it, right, it's like a really basic trust computer, I think is a really way to great way to look at it. Blockchains are just really crappy computers, but they're really good at providing trust. That's they're just really good at one thing. They're not good at being fast. They're not good at storing a lot of data. They're but there are this network there's just like this really primitive computer that that lives virtually on the internet. And most computers like what we have at home, right? They do storage and they do execution. Right. You can play your music, you can play your MP3s, you can play your videos. And a lot of times now we don't even have that much storage because it's all in the cloud. Right. But it's, it's just mostly execution. Right. But then execution right, is actually like computing stuff. So that's like your your normal PC at home is is a your your phone is 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 like a, the, that's your your phone execution and data. But what a blockchain does that makes it different is what makes it special is the consensus layer is this trust layer 
that it adds through this network of nodes of everyone else checking everyone else to make sure whatever they're saying is true, whatever data they're transmitting from their computer is correct and can be verified. And that's what makes it so valuable to get onto the ledger, to get onto the blockchain. Yeah, exactly. And so when you have something like Ethereum, Ethereum has prioritized scalable, I mean, decentralization and security and not scalability, right? So Ethereum is great at consensus, but it's not that good at execution and data availability, right? So there's, there's layers that have been, those, those layers are ideally going to be outsourced. Um, whereas monolithic chains, right? They try to do everything at one layer, everything at once. So Solana, it tries to do consensus execution and data all at one layer, all at once. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's maybe, uh, you, you know, because they're doing that, right. They're, they're, they're sacrificing for scalability. They're sacrificing decentralization and security. And currently Ethereum is a monolithic, which it, which is being built out before our eyes into different modular aspects to then be able to essentially take a bunch of data that people want to put onto the blockchain and put it into a layer two mechanism, a roll up or a shard or something we're going to get into a little bit later, and then put all that onto layer one um, at a much more efficient uh, method. Yeah. So the modular approach kind of allows this specialization to develop naturally, where you can have a group of people over here working on the scalability solution, right? And they're making layer twos and they're making, you know, uh, roll-ups and things like that. And then you can have another group of people who are making uh, different solutions for execution and ways to get more transactions through. And then you have another group of people that are in the data camp and their 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 teams are working on how to uh, store data on chain and how to make it um, available in a smooth, quick way. And then, so where is this kind of progress us when we're we're looking at you know different types of um, chains and how they how they make use of blockchain space? Yeah, so blockchains kind of progress in three stages. And there's a there's a great um, pseudo pseudonymous uh, poster on Twitter, Polynaya, and they have a great uh, thread. They're, they're a really smart person. So if you want to learn more about this, um, check them out on Twitter. It's P O L Y N Y A, and uh, they say that um, in a Type One chain, you have um, people, individuals buying block space. In a Type Two chain you have applications that are buying the, buying the block space. And in a type three chain, you have other chains that are buying the block space. And it's remember that blockchains sell block space before we, we you know get too far in the weeds. That's the product, right? Ethereum get- sells block space. Solana sells block space. If a blockchain's fees are really cheap, that's because they don't have that much demand for their block space. The demand for Ethereum's block space is really high. So it has higher fees. Right. And you're not, those fees aren't just paying for a transaction necessarily. They're also providing a moment in time, a snapshot to get you onto that blockchain. You're, you're now on that immutable ledger with that transaction, with that NFT, with that DeFi, with whatever you're doing, you just paid to be 
immortalized into that moment of time in that block space. Yeah, that moment is yours for forever on that blockchain. That's just, it's, it's immutable. It can't be changed. It's done. So how would you um, relate Ethereum to the Polynia scale? Well, right now, you know, we're in kind of a type one because you have people buying block space individuals. Um, but then, you know, it's also, you do also, we have, uh, we're kind of in mixture. It's kind of in transition, right? Because then you also have type two, you do have some, you have a lot of applications that are, that are um, buying block space to get functions through. And then, you know, when you roll up to the, to the layer two uh, conversation, when we referenced in our previous episode, you know, you have, you have this layer of layer two blockchains that are going to sit on top of Ethereum. And then those chains we're going to, are going to be interacting with Ethereum and there will be buying block space. So what you're seeing though is um, an evolution and we're kind of like in this kind of migration. I think, you know, a lot of people are um, that might use Ethereum are kind of still in the type one phase, but we're going to, eventually a lot of people are going to be interacting kind of more in the type three phase or they're going to be on layer twos and then they'll be using a blockchain that sits on top of Ethereum. And then that blockchain will, will buy block space on behalf of them uh, through their transactions on the layer two. And we'll get into a little bit more of the nitty gritty later in the episode about how exactly that layer two uh, interacts with the layer one. Um, but I kind of want to bring back the question of decentralization just to give our listeners like a little bit of context. Um, what are we talking about um, in terms of Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Solana, you know, being the top three that people are really listening to right now in terms of decentralization? Yeah, I mean, I, I like I want to back up before we get into that is, um, you know, just what is decentralization? Because I think, you know, it's it's a really hard thing to define in crypto and a lot of people will just throw decentralization term around really loosely and just and it's also kind of um a term that people use to kind of just like uh throw shade on different projects so like oh it's not decentralized enough blah 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 but they don't really define it and so um and i think it's really hard to define but it definitely has like a spectrum and you know this different end of the spectrum and when you can think about it like you know okay of something that's super centralized is like a centralized tech company that's run, you know, by, by like a founder, like, like Facebook is pretty, is pretty centralized, right. As far as decision-making goes, right. As far as where the power goes, or if you look at like a monarchy, right. Um, or you look at like a dictatorship, um, any, you know, anywhere you have all the power, you are a few people, a few people hold all the keys and they can kind of choose whatever they want to do. Right. That's centralization. And also it leads to, you know, an easy to corrupt situation because you only need to convince 10 people or five people to to do something and then everyone then it's done. And so decentralization is, you know, how much can you spread out the risk of corruption? How well can you spread out the the and distribute the power of governance? And that's a hard, that's a hard nut to crack. And there's different answers for different problem, different, you know, uh, use cases. Right. But so Bitcoin, right. Is prides itself on like, you know, being really secure. And so it's one of the most decentralized uh, networks that we in blockchains. And according to BitNodes, right now they have approximately like 13,000 nodes that, that are showing up. 
Um, Ethereum is really interesting because uh, you have these pools of nodes, right? You need 32 ETH to, to run a node in Ethereum. This is an interesting thing too, to point out like Bitcoin, you, yeah, you, there's 13,000 nodes, but you need to have special hardware, right? You need to have special processors, um, GPUs. So like a lot of them are like the ASICs, right? And it's, there's an investment upfront before you can even start uh, running a node for Bitcoin. Right. And that's the proof of work, which takes the massive computing power. Yeah, because you're uh, you're competing to solve a, a really complex uh, math problem with everyone else, and if you're if you're uh, see, see, if you're mining operation, your node is able to crack that uh, puzzle fastest, then you're rewarded with a Bitcoin, right? That's how the, the whole Bitcoin mining thing works, and that's how they secure their network because you're 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 doing these crazy puzzles in a way that that shows that. Um, that verifies the ledger. And then we have Ethereum, um, which is doing a transitional period to proof of stake pretty soon. And can you just give us a quick rundown on how that differs from the proof of work? Yeah, so, um, well, Ethereum, they have a pool of, of, of valid of nodes and you need 32 ETH to run a node, but you can run it on your own PC at home. And so you don't need any special hardware. And uh, yeah, it's it's it, the proof of stake is interesting because it, it uses a lot less energy. So that's one thing that people need to understand. It uses about 99.97% less energy than proof of work because instead of solving a problem, you're 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 taking your 32 ETH and you're staking it, which means that you're putting you're depositing it into um, a almost like a bank account, right? It's like a it's like a vault that holds onto that 32 ETH. And you're saying, I promise to check all the transactions and not and not uh, do some weird things that that are corrupting the network. And the and by promising that, I'm I have my 32 ETH staked, deposited to kind of back up my word, right? And then if you do something, if if you do something shady, then the protocol will automatically just take your ETH, <laughs> and it's called slashing. And so you get mm-hmm. like there's a there's a punishment, right? There's an immediate punishment for if you don't and if you, there's a reward right so it's like this like and so it has people who are most committed to eth to committed to ethereum be the ones validating it which is kind of makes it really secure right because of the people who believe if you have 32 eth right that's what eth is at like 4000 right now so like 32 eth that's more than $100,000 it's like 120 grand so you know if you're going to put $120,000 at stake you know you're going to probably, you know, care about the network. And so you're least likely, you're not going to, it's kind of this self-selection thing where you're not really going to get people who have malicious intent to really kind of risk that much on a regular basis. So it does kind of do that. And then there's a pool of nodes, right? So the nodes switch can switch too. And, and then we have Solana, um, which they, they have emphasized, uh, scalability right so they have less nodes which allows it to be a little faster and they have about 200 nodes and it's on like a different end of the spectrum right where it's fast the fees are low but there's less nodes so it's more centralized so it falls a little different part of the spectrum than some of these other blockchains and and the reason why we're bringing up how many nodes is because if someone did want to attack the network they would have to uh convince 
a certain number of the nodes to collude with them on changing the ledger uh, to then um, cause an attack or say, no, I actually have 100,000 ETH in my account. What are you talking about? Yeah, and they call that a lot of times a 51% attack where you need to convince 51% of the um, validating nodes in a network to go along with your with your plot, right? And and this the social coordination aspect of doing that when you consider that the nodes are spread out all across the world in different time zones and you probably don't know you don't know them, right? You don't know them personally. So there's a there's a social coordination element and then there's also the financial uh element too where you'd have to, you know, convince them that the, that they're going to make more money back in that process um than losing their 32 eth or whatever it could be losing what they 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 have at stake there right so 51% attack on you said ethereum had 1300 nodes so if you had to convince 650 ethereum nodes at 32 eth times 4 grand that's like 83 million dollars to even try to get people to start thinking about it that's their the break even though that's their break even right right <laughs> so you have to convince 650 nodes um and then that they're gonna make more than 32 ETH, you know in in that yeah so it, it just you know it gets to this point where it just gets becomes it's not impossible right it there, there is definitely a, a greater than zero chance of the, than happening but it's just really 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 low and that's that's like that's really like you know when it comes down to like a lot of this cybersecurity stuff is that the experts will tell you is that you nothing is 100 secure if, if someone tells you that they're lying to you right there's always some risk and some vulnerabilities in these systems the goal is to reduce it to the smallest amount possible and that's what the design of ethereum has done with the decentralization that's what bitcoin has done with decentralization and that's why these these are like the most um highest market cap assets in the space because people trust the networks they've created a network of trust and that's when you think about blockchains they're they're networks of trust and not all of them are um them as trust as trustworthy as you might think and that's why it's good to have this conversation and to just explore these 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 design trade-offs that, that uh people make when they design these blockchains and understand how they work so that you can be smart when you when you uh decide to invest yeah because at the end of the day you're using different blockchains for different things right so uh solana is really great at what we just talked about, um, quickness transactions per second, um, maybe for your gaming experience and music um, and certain other applications, it's a really great network. But if you have you know half a million dollars in uh, decentralized finance that you want to run on a protocol, maybe you choose something a little bit more secure and decentralized. Yeah, that's a great point, Cash. That you know different blockchains have different design. Uh, emphasis for different reasons right some some of them they need a fast throughput because they have games running on the back end so like axie infinity right like you can't have a game like axie infinity on the ethereum blockchain because every time you do something in the game you can't be paying a hundred dollars in gas fees and just like no one play the game right you just can't do it so 
there's 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 different solutions for different um, use cases, and that's what you have to remember, Ryan. Too, it's not a one size fits all world. This is all evolving in a, in an ecosystem, and this uh, design with Ethereum is is one way that, like we said, is it's emphasizing security. So if you're if you need a game and you need things to be fast and cheap, then that's why um, they have the Ronin side chain for Axie Infinity. They actually have their own blockchain that it runs on. So it can be so it can be super fast and get things done for the game to run. And then Ronin publishes on top of Solana. No, Ronin connects with Ethereum. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Axie is on Ethereum, huh? Yeah. Okay. So uh, Ethereum has the, the security and the decentralization. And so getting back to this modular design, what are the, the modular mechanisms that's allowing uh, for the scalability of Ethereum? Yeah. So we have a few different things that are cool. We have these things called rollups, which is like a zip file where you just kind of compress everything down. And, uh, and a bunch of transactions down and then just send that one uh, hash to, to the layer one. And, and so it reduces your fees. It's like carpooling, right? Like you can just, everyone gets in the same car and you go to the same place instead of all driving you know, separately. So you save money on gas, right? And that's what you save money on on the layer one. You save money on gas. So like carpooling is a great mental model for what rollups are. You know, you still get where you're going, but you pay a lot less and sometimes it's more fun too right because you hang out with your friends <laughs> i love it and then the next aspect of modular blockchains is sharding which uh, this is providing more data availability yeah so shards are, are literally what they sound like right they're shards of the network so the shards are like little slices of the network that you can break off um different nodes can kind of have different versions in these in these shards and it allows you to scale the data so you can store more um, things on these blockchains but it doesn't have to essentially be stored on the layer one all that data doesn't have to necessarily need to be um, sent to the layer one to be processed it can sit on these layer twos on these shards and then they can access that data when needed um, but it doesn't have to kind of sit in the middle of the intersection and clog things down and then essentially what we're seeing right now with the shards are kind of like um it's almost like storing your stuff on the cloud on your phone right like you could have all your photo you know have like sometimes i mean phones have a lot of data now but you know there was a time when you had your iphone maybe you were like had so many pictures or something or so many apps or so many like playlists or whatever downloaded and your phone's like okay you gotta like delete some stuff and like apple lets you like upload it to the cloud right you could like store on icloud and that's kind of like what sharding does it kind of lets you store data on a blockchain kind of almost like cloud. And so you can still have all the benefits of having certain data on chain, right? Because we want certain data to be on chain for it. That's the whole idea of the blockchain that it's this ecosystem. It's this, and it has to confer with the data that's on it. It needs to be able to check things, but it can be cumbersome, right? To, to have this, all this kind of stuff sitting on the layer one. So that's what the shards do. And with the different like designs of sharding and rollups, some of them take less time to process than others, right? Like there's a few different rollup mechanisms like um, optimism or ZK, zero knowledge, ZK. Uh, and some of those can be done a lot quicker and some maybe take a few days, but but maybe you're okay with that, that time period. Um, 
a few days is too long in crypto right <laughs> like there's a, a whole DAO will be spun up to buy the constitution by the time your transaction processes <laughs> <laughs> yeah you you bought into that DAO, didn't you you got yeah i mean live free or die okay so um what happens if a layer two breaks what if your stuff's on a layer two and it doesn't it, it has some some error or some attack can you get off the layer two yeah, you can just go right back into uh, a layer one, right? Like there's a great um, comedian. He's he I forget who he was, but he was Mitch said, Hedberg. Uh, yeah, right. Sorry. <laughs> Escalator <Elevator> temporarily <laughs> stairs. It's like, well, you can still get where you're going. <laughs> I know. I hate yeah. it when they, they cordon off the broken escalator. It's like, hey, come on. Those are still stairs. Let me go up it. Right. It still works. It might be take a little more effort, but you can still do it. So, yeah, that's what's cool about layer twos is that, you you know, you with all this crypto um, revolution is that you own your assets, right? Your assets are yours or in your wallet. So you can go from layer to layer and you can take your assets with you. You might have you're, you're going to have to pay like the, the bridging fee, right? Like the transaction fee you have to go from if you want to go from Ethereum to Optimism or to Arbitrum or wherever there's a one time bridging fee like you would pay a toll to go across like the a bridge like like whatever it is like the golden gate bridge so there's a toll but then once you're there you're there so ultimately um and, and the layer twos are really new so yeah there is a warning there too like if you are exploring some of these layer twos they're still kind of like in um beta mode so you know just be smart yeah maybe don't move all your eth to layer two right now but um, it's cool to explore. They are operational. There's apps on them. Um, and they are getting more, uh, you know, there's more products and projects launching on them every day. Uh, and then I'm excited for uh, the games that are coming on them too soon. And um, what does this mean for like security? I, I know we went over this a little bit a few minutes ago in terms of like proof of stake and the consensus. Um, but is there a modular aspect that kind of, you know, make security more when when people might think it's a trade-off but it's actually adding to the security of the network yeah so when you have more people that okay so proof of right ethereum is moving to proof of stake from proof of work so right now it's kind of on the same the same mechanism that bitcoin uses to uh create consensus and we went over this right proof of work it's just solving a, a complex problem Proof of stake is anyone who owns this native asset can deposit this native asset on the blockchain. And then that asset is kind of in this vault and held as kind of collateral for providing security. And so the, the, the biggest difference here is that like you no longer need to have a physical piece of hardware to be someone that can participate in network security. Proof of stake lets anyone who holds ETH to participate in the security of the network. And so that just, just this whole decentralization narrative just blows through the roof, right? Because now anyone can do it. So if you have some ETH and I have some ETH, and yes, 32 ETH is what you need is to kind of run your own node, but there's protocols and options that let you pull together your ETH and Lido yep. is one of them. There's a bunch of other ones. And you can pull your ETH together with a bunch of other people to create 32 ETH. And then you have a node together as a, as a pooled um, validator, a pooled node. And this is, so this wins from a decentralization standpoint in that 
anyone can do it. So it proliferates it more. And then as it becomes more decentralized, right, it becomes more secure, right? Because now it's harder and harder to corrupt when anyone can do it or anyone in the world, how, how, it's going to be increasingly, increasingly difficult to, to find a way to attack. And it also um, is better for the environment and that we're not using all this energy to secure the network. And I know that's a huge narrative that people keep coming back to. And I think it's, you know, that's one of the things we, 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 we prioritize talking about that on this podcast is that there's a lot of, um, misinformation out there as far as the environmental impact of a lot of this technology. And one of the cool things is this proof of stake transition called the merge um, that's going to be happening on the Ethereum blockchain next year is going to minimize the power usage for the network. Yeah, not only the power usage, but, you know, people are replacing their uh, GPU ASEC processors, you know, every few years uh, to have the, the cutting edge technology to solve that proof of work problem the fastest so that no longer becomes a wasteful industry in and of itself and i think it's also important you know some people might say wow 32 eth like one hundred and twenty-eight thousand dollars um but what are we talking about when people are actually bitcoin mining or um you know putting together rigs to to do that operation of mining how much you know are they spending they're spending a lot i mean because if you because you're competing uh, with everyone else who's trying to Bitcoin mine. And so if you actually want to have a viable chance of, of becoming the, the miner that mined that one block, you need to invest tens of millions of dollars, right? And that's what you see, these, these massive companies that, that buy these warehouses and just fill them up with computers and GPUs and servers. And they have, you know, it takes a technical ex expertise. It takes, um, you know, a considerable amount of capital to just to get into that, you know, and be successful. And that, that does create um, centralization vectors, right? Because you, you do have some of these, there are, there are uh, centralized companies now that are some of the, that are the biggest Bitcoin miners, right? Whereas Ethereum, um, it can just be any, anyone that has some ETH. Right. So any, it's a much more holder. decent. Yeah. So it's a much more just, it doesn't have it, the, the, the vector for Ethereum is to become more decentralized over time as ETH, ETH proliferates across, you know, the globe and the, like the vector of Bitcoin is, is kind of tends to uh, a more centralized vector just because you have these centralized companies that are um, really profitable and then they have more capital to invest in mining Bitcoin and then they can, they mine more Bitcoin and then therefore they just have more money to mine more Bitcoin. And so they, you know, there's a, there's a barrier to entry that, that that's developed there that you don't have in some of these other architectures. And, and you um, referenced the security of Bitcoin um, being the supply of the certain SHA hashes, um, which for our listeners is the uh, secure hash algorithm. But could you just go into that a little bit more? Like, what does that mean in terms of like the supply of those, those hashes? Yeah, so the ultimate supply of, of the security is based off of how much GPU power you have to compute these hashes, right? So the, there's a very complex problem for every transaction that gets, that gets sent to a Bitcoin ledger has a hash. And there's a puzzle that, that, they, that all these um, 
Bitcoin nodes have to solve to 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 earn the, and mine the next block. And so essentially, you could you this you could kind of deduce it down to the amount of security on the Bitcoin blockchain is the sum of all the um, hash power that that um, the network has at any one point. And the fact that you can um, compute that down to this hash power, you know, some people were criticizing that, you know, it's, it's not as necessarily uh, as, as a secure way to, to uh, define, you know, the decentralization of the network, because it, it, like I said, it has these centralization factors where it's like you obviously centralized companies are controlled in a certain, in a significant amount of hash power. Like you could look and like, I'm sure there's, there's certain websites that show you, um, and you can kind of see like, wow, like this certain companies in the world have a significant amount of hash power that they can use to kind of sway the network. Gotcha. Essentially. It's not just one guy in their basement with a rig of, you know, 10 GPUs. This is a huge warehouse with thousands of GPUs. And that's the, all that hash power is centralized into one. Yeah. All the ones that got kicked out of China because right? China banned mining. So right. uh, they all left China and they guess what? The, a lot of them are moving to Texas to, to start their operations because Texas has cheap energy and uh, a lot of um, pro crypto uh, rhetoric. So uh, interesting. It's interesting. They, China said no and, crypt, and Texas said yes. <laughs> right. Hey, Lone Star, baby. Um, so, okay. So Bitcoin is that hash um, supply, whereas Ethereum what you're referencing is it's, it's actually the, ETH the supply su- the supply of the actual native currency itself it's 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 eth itself yeah so there's there's a there's an interesting thing where yeah ethereum kind of folds back on itself with proof of stake that the that the asset itself is what is used to secure the network whereas hash power is what's used to secure uh bitcoin's network i love it so let's tie it all in um we were talking about ultra scalable Ethereum leading to ultra sound money. Uh, what does all this mean, you know, for the inflationary principles of um, cryptocurrency and specifically Ethereum as it moves to this uh, modular ultra scalable solution? Yeah, this is really important when it comes down to the whole money talk and the future of money. And we're gonna, I know I really want to tie it all together now um, here in this, this, this final little discussion here back to first principles you know why 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 we created this podcast why we care about crypto uh, why we care about nfts it's this whole revolution in property rights and in value and how we describe how we ascribe value in in our culture in our society and the fact that you know the federal government um can control money in a way that uh, corrupts and doesn't always, you know, have positive impact on society is one of the things that, you know, crypto helps solve is that crypto puts the power back in the hands of you and me and everyone else to choose how they want to spend their money. It's your money. You worked hard for it. No one should be able to tell you what you can and can't do with your money. And furthermore, um, you should be able to spend it, you know, uh, and access it on on a sunday <laughs> well and like, also spend, <laughs> spend what you earned right yeah and when the u.s treasury issues 40 percent more dollars your buying power just went down pretty significantly yeah i mean it's a hidden tax so I, you know crypt- I, go ahead 
Well, and a lot of our listeners, I think, are in the States, but it's good to remember that that we have had a pretty steady inflationary um, trajectory over the last two or three decades. But, you know, for all of our, our South American friends, um, there are places where overnight people saw their savings of, you know, $100,000 just pretty much go into nothing because of, you know, 20, 30% inflation, uh, which is exactly why we want to, you know, educate people on the the power of the blockchain to to give power back in the hands of of you know the middle class and and the the people who don't really have much the the people who don't even have access to a bank account exactly so the way that this works is that crypto economic networks pay their security providers via issuance and fees and using the fee revenue to pay for security displaces the amount of issuance that's required. Right. So, so when you mine a block to, of it, when you when you as much. Sorry. Yeah. So when you mine a block of Ethereum, then use a block word of two ETH, but then there's also the fees, right? That are collected. And so if you're able to pay for more of the revenue with fees, then the more the fees the blockchain collects, the less it needs to inflate the supply of the of the currency of the network of the tokens through issuing tokens right so the block rewards to eth right but if you go to like watch the burn.com right you can see there's some deflationary blocks right there's sometimes there's more gas more ethereum is burned in the block to make the block process um than is issued and this is because of eip 1559 which is burning the fees not every blockchain burns their fees Exactly. Not every blockchain burns their fees. And this is one example of how um, the, the update that you mentioned, EIP-1559, which is an update to the Ethereum blockchain and how it works when you pay your transaction fees, they don't, they're not going to um, necessarily, you know, not all of it is going to the, the miner, the validator. Some of it's being burned and through this update. So it mean, when we say burn, it means it's just gone. It's sent to, sent to, an ad, an address that just deletes it. That's so cool. So, so what is this doing to the, the money principle of Ethereum essentially? Well, if you want your security to be cheap, then you can't just rely on transaction fees to pay for your security. You have to also rely on issuance, which, you know, creates kind of like this inflation. Right. So if you're if you're if your block fees are aren't I don't know aren't raising enough money to, to kind of pay for the, the people providing security, then the way that you pay for security is you print more dollars, right? You print more, you create more tokens in the crypto way, right? Gotcha. You're issuing more tokens to pay for the security rather than having the fees, the revenue, right? It's like having a it's like having a business where it's like one, you're 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 taking out loans to pay your employees and another one you have a business and your business is actually making money and that's how you can pay your employees so one's way healthier place to be in right than another <laughs> right and so like for instance solana everyone references for having really really low fees but that means there's not that many fees going to the the people doing the consensus um so they're instead doing a lot more issuance of the the solana it, for that reference yeah, so you're going to have to issue. Yeah, Solana has inflation, right? There's, there's there's issuance inflation, there's token inflation for the Solana network because there's not enough fees being generated 
to cover their expenses to to for people to secure the network. So you kind of are in this weird thing where it's kind of like you know where you're, you're um, you're creating this essentially it's it is inflation because there's more soul entering the market than than that's being deleted. Whereas it, you know Ethereum that Solana I mean that that ETH is being burned. Yeah, Polynaya had a, a, a good um, breakdown of kind of issuance um, and fee uh, relationships. So, you know, for instance, um, on the Solana network, if it's collecting roughly, you know, $10,000 uh, a day um, in fees, but uh, perhaps when it's really being bogged down because of all the speculative mania, maybe it's hitting $100,000 a day, um, which is about $36 million annualized. Um, but Solana is giving out um, close to $4 billion in inflationary rewards of Solana. Um, so that's almost a net loss of like 99.2%, um, which leads to the inflationary side. Yeah, I mean, I think and it's a really important point. And just to bring it back, kind of like bird's eye view is like blockchains are, are businesses, right? They're, but the, the way that they work is, right, they're supposed to be um, eventually, right? They're almost like trustless businesses where you don't really have a person you know, kind of running it, right? You have, it's a computer code. That's the business and it's running. And the way that you design your blockchain, the way that you kind of make your business is, you know, they're selling block space and they sell the block space with, with fees. And then the way they secure the network is like taking those fees and paying people who are, have a considerable interest in the blockchain to secure the blockchain. And so this is, this is, this is a cycle, right? And it, what, what Cash, you just the point you just made is that you know not every blockchain solves this the same way. Polygon, for instance, is a POS sidechain for Ethereum. It has around fifty thousand dollars a day in transaction fees, eighteen million dollars a year annualized, but it's distributing over four hundred million dollars in inflationary rewards. So that's an incredible net loss of ninety five percent, right? So that's not a great business model. <laughs> and, and, you know, if you want your token value to increase, right. If you're, if you're, if you're inflating your currency for it at that rate, you know, it's not going to do well for the, um, the appreciation of the value of the token. Um, but, you know, Polygon, you know, it's in this infant stage and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's in the um, liquidity mining stage where they're kind of putting out tokens for people to use the network. And that's kind of why they have this big, uh, inflationary costs, and they know that, and people know that that this you can um, get token rewards for Polygon by using different apps, and so they they reward you in 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 Polygon for using things on the network, and that's why they have this such a massive inflation. Then you mentioned Solana, Solana's um, very cheap fees, but they're they're also giving out an astounding um, amount in rewards as well. So. What this essentially means for an Ethereum type blockchain, which has um, larger fees, um, that large fee market is essentially, you know, kind of incentivizing um, decentralization um, because it's encouraging more people to to put in their ETH and stake it. Because, because of- if ETH is valuable, right, then it becomes more important, more, you know, incentivized to mine your own ETH to validate the network. And then that kind of, plays back into the the inflationary um you know or deinflation disinflationary you know principle of it deflationary deflationary thank you i i promise i got 
a poli sci econ degree. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, I like disinflationary as well too. You know, as long as it means the the, the amount is going down, so the supply the supply is going down. Hey, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Supply down, demand up. <laughs> That's what we want. No, so yeah, you you made a, you made a great point, right? So if the, if the fees are strong then you're limiting the amount of block space. You increase the decentralization by removing the hardware requirements. And then you see the fee revenues being captured by limiting the availability of block space. So that scarce block space creates high revenue fees, which generates a high amount of ETH burning, which makes ETH more scarce, making it more valuable, which makes more people want to mine it, et cetera. And so you kind of get into this positive flywheel where you have ETH as the asset ETH as money, creating more incentive to secure ETH, the network, Ethereum, the network. And as ETH, the Ethereum, the network becomes more secure, you know, here we are back at the beginning of the cycle. And now more people want to use it. It's more valuable. The block space is more valuable. That's why we're bullish on ETH. Yeah. So let's tie it all together. So a if you have a constrained layer one, that tries to do everything on a monolithic scale, right? Does consensus, does execution, does data storage. If it does everything all at once, right? You're 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 kind of gonna you're gonna run into the blockchain trilemma. You're gonna run into this trilemma. So the way that Ethereum has its designed to solve this is by being modular, right? You have all these little pieces and Ethereum's like, okay, I'm just gonna do one thing really well and that's gonna be consensus. And then through this whole design, we're gonna have more scalability and more decentralization. Right, and we're seeing that greater availability through the sharding and the rollup processes, which are essentially allowing for more layer one block space um, as a function of Ethereum security, uh, which is growing and growing when more and more validators come onto the network. Yeah, and then rollups create an unconstrained execution environment. So they bundle up the transactions, tiny packets of data, pull those all together and send them to the layer one for settlement. And as this more and as this architecture becomes built out over a wider, wider uh, uh, surface area, you're going to have more and more layer twos that create this vibrant ecosystem of blockchains that are sitting on top of blockchains that interact with, with one another. And they're going to be super decentralized because you have so many of them. And because of you have so many of them, also the possibilities for um, storage of different data is going to increase. And we're going to have like, you know, gaming blockchains, like Immutable X. We're going to have um, storage blockchains. We're going to have all these, you know, it's really going to allow um, the kaleidoscope of projects and interests to actually happen on chain. And, you know, it's... It, there's no, you know, it's, it's, it's impossible to think that we're going to be able to scale to the entire world on one layer one blockchain, right? It's just not, it's just not a feasible thing, right? Just like it would be impossible to think that just like one uh, company, right, would be enough to just run every, every power company in the whole, every power structure in the whole world. It just doesn't make sense. So, you know, the decentralization thing is also how we really get to the adoption part and how we really bring this technology to make it accessible for everyone. Yeah, and I love where you're, you're tying it together. This is what makes Ethereum so decentralized and so secure and allows it to do X, Y, and Z. But again, like we referenced, Solana has its place in the world. Solana is really great for the throughput and the, and the low fees, um, but 
we, we really want to remind our listeners, hey, what are what are we using different blockchains for and what are they trying to solve and and keep that in mind when we're assigning value? Yeah, we, we live in a multi-chain world and this is going to be different solutions and they all kind of fit together. You know, I, I used to play with Legos as a child and I kind of look at them like Legos, right? And you can get different Lego sets, but once you have them, right, no one's preventing you from taking sets from these, from pieces from one set and you, and then putting it, mixing with different pieces, right? And you can make your own. And that's what we're going to, we're kind of moving to this world where you have blockchains like Legos that can build on top of each other. And you can take different blockchains that, you know, you could take the set that was like the castle set and you take the, the Harry Potter set and the space set and they can like work together now and you can think you can interact. And because they can work together to interact is actually a benefit. The distribution of, of where the um, users are, where the power is, is a, is a, is a massive benefit for everyone because it makes everything more secure and we can use the internet in a completely different way as crypto native token holders where we own our own data, we can move from chain to chain. So that it ultimately makes each chain have to behave in a way that is nicer to the users because we have the power, not these big, huge tech companies that mine all our data and give us nothing. Love it. And I direct our listeners back to the Infinite Machine by Camila Russo because it really does a cool exploit explanation of why Ethereum was founded. And it goes straight to those decentralization principles of not giving all the power to where the power has been consolidated over the last you know few decades. Fantastic, Cash. That's uh, a great book. Yeah. So if you haven't checked that out, check it out. And we're just going to finish up here with um, what are you excited about? Oh, man. Well, I was really excited that you were uh, participating in a DAO to buy the Constitution today. I know it was super exciting Constitution DAO. We, we pulled together all of this uh, ETH to make a bid on the, a copy of the Constitution that was on sale through Sotheby's um, today. But unfortunately, it did not succeed but what did succeed was the demonstration to the world of how powerful DAOs are because it was written up in all sorts it got all sorts of press it was in the new york times it was on cnbc and people were like what's a DAO and why do they have 49 million dollars and how are they trying to buy the constitution and like everyone that understood crypto was like this is awesome and everyone that didn't understand crypto was like what the heck is going on? <laughs> yeah, no, it was such a cool example, such a cool example of the coordination um, that can come through blockchain. And and at the end of the day, like you said, it, it's bringing it all back down to the, the layer zero, which is people. It's people all the way down when it comes down to it. So speaking of people, make sure that you get ready for our in real life NFT event where we have people in person doing NFT stuff. When we're talking about NFTs, we're going to have an NFT auction with Chester Arnold, Manuel de Cisneros, and John Schooler. It's going to be amazing. It's happening in Santa Barbara on December 4th from 4 to 7 p.m. at the Soho Music Club. You can get more info at reliquarydao.com. That's spelled R-E-L-I-Q-U-A-R-Y-D-A-O.com. Yeah, I'm really excited for that. And folks, this is the blockchain. If you can't make it in person, you can still participate in the NFT auction. Awesome. Well, we're going to wrap it up for here. Thank you for listening. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Yeah, thanks for exploring the world of blockchain with us. Crypto is changing the world, and we're here to ensure that you are ready. 
Please subscribe, share this podcast with your friends and coworkers, and please do leave us a review. We look forward to sharing our next episode with you. Salud. Cheers.